Well, what do you need me for, right? (laughs) We are ending uh, the book of Judges where we have been for a series of weeks. And we're going to end as this uh, uh, illustration, as this uh, drama just helped us prepare with the life of Samson. And I think, um, you know, there's so much about Samson that is familiar to us because whether you're in church or out of church, you could almost tell the story of Samson because it's one of those stories that's bigger than, in a sense, uh, those who are in the church. It's, it, it lives outside of the church. But I hope that we'll learn some things about Samson and more importantly about ourselves in the few minutes that I have that maybe don't come uh, first to mind. Samson, let me say a couple things. He takes up four chapters in the Bible, 13, 14, 15, and 16. That puts him in a very small category in the scriptures, and that ought to say something about his importance to, who we, to, to us, right? Why would God, in his providence, put this man's life story in the Bible? It's not to entertain us. Uh, it's to say something to us. But let me say something also about Samson. These judges, these deliverers, that's really what they were. They weren't gavel judges. They were military deliverers. Samson, at the, as the last judge, is clearly the worst in the sense of his character or his profile of all the judges that are found in this book. He's morally weak. He's personally reckless. He's self-serving. And he's largely indifferent to his relationship with God. So you ask yourself this question. You ought to ask this all the time when you're reading the Bible. But if that's the case, why are we spending time today uh, and, and in this book of Judges looking at his life? What's the point of doing that? There's a very important point. Why does he take up four chapters in the Bible? The book of Romans says this. If you're a note taker, Romans 15, verse 4. Everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, right? When Paul said that, he's talking about the Bible, the Old Testament. Everything that was written in the past, everything. Yes, the story of Samson. Yes, the story of Samson and Delilah. Yes, the story of Judges was written to teach us that through endurance in the scriptures, what we're doing here this morning, we might have encouragement to live our lives and we might have hope. When I read the story of Samson, all four of those chapters, many times in preparation for this message, I confess to you that I saw some things about myself in this story. I saw some things about you in this story. I saw some things about us. So I want to conclude uh, this series and, 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 and this, uh, with this message with just two simple points in the time I have. Number one, I want to give you both the truth Uh, That's not just true of Samson, I think is true for everyone in this room. It's my point. In the whole book of Judges, I want to give you a truth and I want to give you a promise that I think every person, every student, every child in this room can apply if we have ears to hear it and if we have a heart that's open to receive it. A truth and a promise. First, let me give you the truth. Not only in Samson's life, but really it represents the people of God in this uh, account. Number one, our spiritual laziness often leads to self-deception, right? Our spiritual laziness, okay, 
which is so much a part of this book, if you reread this book. You know, God gave them these great promises, these great and precious promises. God was with them, and all they needed to do was hold fast to the Lord their God, to follow him, to obey him, to not worship other gods. And he says, if you do this time and again, I will open up the heavens, and I will pour out blessings on you that you cannot contain all you need to do is have a close heart relationship with me. Do, uh, give your heart to me and I will bless you. But they did not do that. They became spiritually lazy very, very quick and often spiritual laziness. This is why the story's in the Bible. This is why we're studying it. It's not to entertain us. It's not to be fantastical. It's not to be funny. It's to really tell us something very important about us, about you and about me and our spiritual laziness in our lives today, in my life today, often leads to self-deception. It happens all the time. Both in and out of the church, by the way, as I said a few minutes ago. The picture that we paint of Samson, right? I do this too. It's, it's really, a, it's something less than the truth. I'm looking at the kid's bulletin, right? In other words, we, we, we look at Samson as if he was, you know, six feet five and had these big strapping muscles. But I don't think the Bible supports that picture of who Samson was. As Beth just said a minute ago, he was not a strong baby. He didn't have bear's hands, right? He was a very ordinary baby as far as how he looked, right? He wasn't a super strong man. However, as God was with Samson through his life, through the 20 years, right? What we just, this part of the end of his life is at the end, right? But through those 20 years of leading Israel, Samson began to believe what other people were saying about him. He began to believe his own press, right? God's blessings in his life actually became a reason for him to forget God. And he began to see something in the mirror that wasn't really there. This week, I moved uh, into a house here in Penfield. I've been uh, in transition. And I was, you know, doing whatever people move in their house, just going through all this stuff. And I wanted to, you know, get rid of this, get rid of this. And I had all these clothes. So they go through my clothes. I found this, you know, pants and, sh and, and shorts and all this stuff. And it was guy stuff. Of course, I don't wear girls' clothes. I don't know why. <laughs> I don't know why I said that. But anyway, <laughs> sermon's over, right? Okay. But point is, I had, but, but they were stuff, they were all good stuff, I would say. But they, um, I just thought, I I'm going to give this away. So I texted my, uh, my sister, actually both of them, and I said, listen, I got this stuff, you know, it's, it's good stuff, jeans, shirts, and this stuff, and um, do you know anybody, do any of you guys know anybody, you know, at your school, she's a teacher, that I might be able to, uh, or anyone that needs some clothes, um, let me know. And she texted back to me. We went through over a couple names that didn't work out, and then she said, well, you know, I don't know anybody as fit as you. That's what she said. I remember thinking, what a nice thing to say, you know? Now, and as the conversation went on, I just kind of let it go. There was other things in the string. But, you know, I have to confess to you. I live in, the, in my house. I have these three big windows in this house, you know, and there's a certain time of the day where you can kind of see as a reflection. You know, I just kind of caught myself just, you know, you know, just once or twice, you know. But the funny thing was, okay, this is true. This is true. It wasn't until hours later, like last night I was just sitting in my bed, that I realized she was probably kidding, right? In other words, there wasn't a smiley face at the end of it, but it was sort of implied. But it doesn't take much, does it? For us to think things that are true about ourselves that aren't 
Often our spiritual laziness, I should say, often leads to self-deception. Let me tell you something about Samson. Dave and, and, and Beth illustrated it. He did, if we read, believe the Bible, he killed a thousand men with, with, with a bone, a jawbone of an animal. He did uh, kill a lion with his own bare hands. He did, as Dave said, picked up this gate. But wait, but let me think about this for a minute. I'm almost convinced that Samson, as I said, was not 6'5". He, well, he didn't have all kinds of muscles. Why do you say that, Rob? I'll tell you why. Because the Philistines, if you read the whole three four, or four chapters carefully, they're doing everything in their mind to ply uh, Delilah, to ply the other women that Samson was with. Those were his interlocutors, so to speak, the people they would get information from to say, we want to know the secret of his strength. Like it was a magical thing. What's the secret? Well, if, the sea, if this guy was six foot five and he looked like me, just kidding, okay. <laughs> if he was six foot five and he was what we often think he was, you know, this, this strapping guy who just had muscles everywhere, well, they wouldn't, there, would be, there would be no mystery to the secret of his strength. What I'm telling you is that Samson, right? Jason, come here. Just come on up here. <laughs> Jan- Samson, as best said, was an ordinary baby. He was an ordinary guy. Go like this, Jason. This is Samson, son of Manoah, okay? My point is, thank you. In other words, he was an ordinary guy, okay? Samson was an ordinary guy. What confounded the Philistines was, how was it that this ordinary guy could do such great things? Samson finally, you know this, gives in to Um, uh, his Delilah, this woman that he was so captivated by, right, from the Philistines, he finally gives in to her um, pressing him and pressing him and pressing him, and he finally tells her the secret of his strength when he says, listen, the secret of my strength is about a vow that I made to God, right? It's about a vow that I made to God. And he says to her, listen, if you cut my hair, it was one of the three things that was exercise, the dedication in this vow. If you cut my hair, I will be like any other man. But let me tell you something about this. We'll see this in the scripture. That's what Samson said, and to a degree that was true, but he really had come to believe that that was not the source of his strength. Verse 20 in the passage, if you have uh, judges with you, Judges 16. He was right, it was about the vow, it was about his dedication to God, but he really did not believe in his heart it was the true source of his strength. Then, then she called, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. Now, this is the third or fourth time that she had done this. And he had given her these sort of, you know, these, these dummy reasons, these, these, these ruses. But finally, he tells her, it's because of my vow to God. He woke from his sleep and thought, I'll go out as before and shake myself free. I'll do what I've done every single other time. I'll do what I've done the whole, in my whole life. And I've done, always done what I wanted to do. I've always acted like I wanted to do. And I know that I will get out of this jam just like I've got out of every single other jam because he came to the deception to believe that this strength was actually his own. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. Then the Philistines seized him, gouged out his eyes, and took him down to Gaza, binding him with brown shackles. They set him to grinding grain in the prison. This is the end of Samson. This is how it ends. He came to believe his strength was his own, that no matter what he did or how he lived, he would never lose it. I think Samson, 
did a lot of uh, uh, flexing in the muscles in the mirror when no one else was around, and he began to believe something about himself that was not true. And let me say this too, quickly. This deception was not just psychological, it was also theological. It's theological because he forgot how deeply dependent on God's grace he was for his power. The Philistines thought it was magical. What's the secret? Tell me what it is. Is it some food that he eats? Is it, oh, is it is his hair? Is it, you know, is it some incantation? What is the secret? It's, mecha- it's, it's magical, but it's interesting to me. As I think about my own life, as I think about the people that I pastor and talk to like you, how many Christians today in the 21st century, we don't believe in, you know, these, we are more sophisticated in our thinking and our understanding. How many of us have magical thinking when it comes to our relationship with God. We, what we think is, you know, if I just do this, God will bless me. If I don't do this, God won't bless me. And God just owes me. I've suffered long enough. It's my turn. It's amazing the kinds of things that I hear come out of my own heart and come out of your hearts and your minds about what it means to have a relationship with God. Sometimes God's blessings, as it was for Samson, become the reason for us to forget him. A relationship with God is not mechanical, right? That's what Samson had to learn. It was not mechanical. It wasn't really about his hair. He'd already broken the two other vows, which was drinking anything from the vine. He'd already done that in chapter 14. And about, uh, you know, uh, about, um, uh, um, what was the other ones? Test. That's right. He ate from the lion, which was from, some of a, from um, eating something from, that was defiling himself because of a dead animal. He'd already broken two of the three vows. He didn't believe that, right? He thought that, but he thought his, God, his relationship with God was mechanical. It's not, it's relational. That's what we learned from Samson. It's about humility. It's about, uh, it's about grace. It's about um, devotion to God. And God was so gracious to Samson. Although he'd broken two of the three vows, God was still with him. But now Samson, in his very cavalier way, says, eh, I'll tell you my secret. We read this passage and go, why was he so dumb? Didn't he realize this was the end? No, he didn't. Because he didn't really think that his strength came from God. He had deceived himself to think it came from himself, right? And now God says, listen, Samson, I'm done with you. He, God says, I'm leaving you. It doesn't mean that God stopped loving him, by the way. It just means that God said, I no longer trust you with my power, right? This is where the application comes for you and me. God, if you're a Christian here today, let me tell you something, even if you're not a Christian, but if you're a Christian, God never stops loving you. Just like you would never stop loving uh, a, a, a disobedient child or a brother or a friend. He never, he doesn't love you any more on your best day than he does on your worst day. But God does come to a place and say, I'm no longer trusting you with my power. I'm no longer trusting you with my authority. And in this moment, God finally uh, pulls the plug on Samson. Let me say something. Some of us are suffering real losses uh, in, in our lives today. Some of us, in a manner of speaking, right? Students, kids, moms, dads, feel like we've had our eyes gouged out, right? That God has left you. But let me tell you something, God hasn't left you. He's just trying to snap you out of your self-deception back into a place where you recognize 
and respond to his grace, right? Number one, our spiritual laziness often leads to self-deception. Number two, here's the, the, the application in the manner of speaking. It's never too late to recover God's calling for your life. This is, what, this is, why, this is why Samson picks up four chapters in the Bible. Why take four chapters? I mean, outside of Jesus and maybe David and Moses, who gets four chapters in the Bible, Right? Because God wants to say something. I've said this, I think, early on in this series. The real hero of this book is God. And the real story behind the story is the gospel. And the story of the gospel is this. The story of the gospel isn't work your way to acceptance with God. Work your way to usefulness with God. The story of the gospel is you are more sinful than you ever, ever imagined. But God loves you more than you ever dreamed. And there is, you, you can never, ever, ever Go so far in your life that God cannot use you if you'll have a change of heart. It's never too late to recover God's calling for your life. If someone like Samson, we joke about him, he's funny, we, 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 he has some great colorful tales, but if you look carefully at the story, he's the, he's the farthest thing from an example that you would ever want in your life. He was morally reprehensible. He was the most self-serving person you ever saw. He cared about nothing but satisfying his own selfish desires and needs. That's how he lived his life until the day he died. But Samson realized something in his death. It's never too late. Verse 23, watch how this story ends. Of, of uh, Judges 16. Now the rulers of the Philistines assembled to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their God, right? See, there's a larger narrative going on in our lives. It's between the God of heaven and the false gods of this world. To celebrate, saying, our God has delivered Samson, our enemy, into our hands. When the people saw him, they praised their God, saying, our God has delivered our enemy into our hands, the one who laid waste to our land and multiplied our slain. While they were in high spirits, they shouted. Imagine this. Talk about the shame. Bring out Samson, who represented in many ways the people of God, to entertain us, right? That's what we sometimes think, right? We tell these, this is entertainment, right? It's not entertainment. It's a powerful truth, powerful truth uh, for all of us, the story of Samson. While we were in high spirits, they shouted, bring out Samson, entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison and he performed for them, whatever that means. When they stood him among the pillars, Samson said to the servant who held his hand, put me where I can feel the pillars that support the temple that I may lean against them. Now the temple was crowded with men and women. All the rulers of the Philistines were there. It was the temple of the false god Dagon, church, so to speak. And all the rulers of the Philistines were there on the roof were about 3,000 men and women watching Samson perform. Then Samson prayed to the Lord, Sovereign Lord, remember me. Please, God, strengthen me just once more and let me uh, with one blow get revenge on the Philistines for my two eyes. Then Samson reached toward the central pillars on which the temple stood, bracing himself against them on his right hand on the one, his left hand on the other. He said, let me die with the Philistines. Then he pushed with all his might and down came the temple on the rulers and all the people in it. Thus, as Dave said, he killed more when he died than when he lived. Now, let me say something about Samson. Even in the end, he's kind of self-serving, right? 
Sovereign Lord, remember me, strengthen me, that I might fulfill my purpose that God gave for my life, that I might be the deliverer of the people of God. Now, that I might get revenge on these people who gouged out my eyes. But I would say to you, this is the gospel, this is God's grace. Even a self-centered, self-serving, largely uh, uh, self-focused man, something did change in him. There's only two times in his entire life recorded in the scripture where he prays, which is an illustration, I think, not only of his spiritual life, but I would say of yours and mine. You wanna know where you are spiritually, right? Take just a week and write down your prayers. Maybe share them with your spouse or your best friend. It's a great illustration. Samson only had two. In chapter, uh, end of chapter 14, I think it is, Samson, after he does these great feats, right? God had helped him kill a thousand men and, de- and defend his, you know, his, his, his weak ego, his bruised ego, because his first, his wife, he only had one wife, his wife, the woman he actually uh, was engaged to marry, was given to another man. He, he was very angry. He took out this great vengeance on a, killed a thousand people because the spirit of the Lord came upon him. But instead of saying thank you, this is what he says, his first prayer. He says, God, I, he cried to the Lord because he was thirsty. Give me something to drink. And I thought, isn't that illustrative of my relationship with God at times and your relationship with God at times, right? My, my relationship with God is, God, simply give me what I need. My, it's, it's, very, it's a very mechanical thing, right? It's almost like a, rubbing a genie's bottle. That's what Samson's life was like, but not in this prayer. This prayer, I see a change, however slight. Sovereign Lord, never called him that. What does that mean, sovereign Lord? Samson said, listen, in one moment, he said, listen, I can look at my entire life, even though I'm sure he saw things differently after his demise. I'm sure he came to understand that his power was not his own. I'm sure he came to understand that he was largely a failure at what God had called him to do, that he'd wasted so much of his life. He never actually fulfilled the purpose of delivering the the, the people of God from the Philistines. He just was all about himself. I think he came to some new conclusions. But this was so amazing about it. He said, you know what? He has the courage to say, even though I failed, even though I've lived a, a self-centered life, even though I've lived on the level of my own desires, even though I've really never taken my relationship with God very seriously. He says, however, here I am in this moment, and God has been so gracious to me, and I believe that God can use me, ready, wait for it, still. That's what's so amazing. Why does Samson end up in the Hall of Fame. Uh, uh, Many people have debated this. How could the writer of Hebrews possibly say that when you're looking at the people who, who who, who deserve a mention throughout all of Scripture, beginning with, you know, Abraham, a mention of these people who did great things for God, up there with Abraham, up there with Moses, up there with David, up there with the apostles, does he put Samson? How, who was, what was he thinking? Samson, but he put Samson to send a message to you and to send a message to me that says it's never too late, right? You don't need to give up on your marriage. You don't need to give up on that kid that never called you back. Listen, you might have almost forgot what it was that God called you to do. 
You've so far walked away from that purpose that God has called you in your life. We as a church walk so far away, become so spiritually lazy, we become indifferent. God says, listen, it's never too late, right? It's never too late. And Samson says, he doesn't know this for sure, but he says, sovereign Lord, he puts it all together. I realize that what you've called me to do, I've been very indifferent about it for most of these 20 years. I've served myself. Maybe I killed a couple thousand Philistines over 20 years, right? There's hundreds of thousands of them. But I see an opportunity right now, and I'm bold enough to say, just maybe, just maybe, you're willing to put your power on my life right now. And God says, okay. And he pushes those walls out, and he did more in that final act than he did in his entire life. That's grace. That's the gospel. It's an invitation to you and to me. It's never too late to recover God's calling for your life. And lastly, the last real point of this, the application, where do you need God's strength in your life today, right? Where do you need your, 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 I didn't turn to it, but you can read it yourself. Hebrews 11, 32 to 34, and says, I don't have time to tell you about Jephthah and Gideon, we looked at these names, and Samson, whose weakness was turned into strength, right? Whose weakness was turned into strength. This is the essence of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. This is the essence of what it means to, to, to live out the gospel is to realize that if we are simply willing to humble ourselves, to wake up to our own self-deception, to see that the real strength in our lives is not our own, it's God's, and simply say, God, use me, right? In his weakness, Samson's greatest moment, right, was not, you know, ripping a lion apart, was not carrying this huge uh, gates of, uh, of the city of Gaza up the hill. It was a man whose eyes were gouged out, whose hands were, uh, you know, uh, bruised from the shackles, who was mocked and ridiculed for the hour before this event. He was, a, he was, he was humble before God, but he turned his heart to God and said, God, be my strength here. So I say to you guys, first as individuals, where do you need God's strength in your life today, right? This is what, this is what we can learn. Where do you need God's strength in your life today? You need to acknowledge, right? It's only spiritual laziness that leaves itself to say, get real about where you are with God. Get real about where God, that God loves you no matter where you are, no matter what you have done. And all he's looking for is a humble acknowledgement of who he is, a humble acknowledgement of his love and his grace, and a willingness to say, God, use me still. And if you're willing to do that, God's willing to show up in your life. That's why the story of Samson's here. So I ask you, where do you need God's strength in your life? Where do you need him to show up? And are you willing, in the privacy of your own heart, to simply open your life to God? Open this life to, maybe some of you, I know this, right? As a pastor, I have a commitment not to share anybody's name, but I'll say something. There are many marriages in this church that are in deep trouble, right? 
Nobody move, you know? Deep trouble. And they're beyond my capacity and beyond anybody's, but they're not beyond God's capacity, right? They're not beyond God's capacity. There are many, uh, uh, you know, uh, students who's, and parents who have kids who's, who have gone astray, who seem beyond hope, beyond repair, but they're not beyond God's repair. They're not beyond God's hope. And there are many of us who've been in church for many, many years, and God's been saying, listen, it's your time. Don't you remember what we talked about many, many years ago? This is what I have called you to do. And you're not too old, and you're not too tired, and, 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 and it's not too late. All right? But you need to surrender, um, your, whether it's your fears or your pride, and say, God, um, I want my calling back. It's never too late. Amen? And lastly, as a church, you know, we've been talking for months the REACH initiative. Are we open? Are we, do, can we believe that God can do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine, right? That I can see, um, you know, uh, people in my life, in my, uh, I met my new neighbors yesterday, that I can see people who don't know Christ as their Savior come to know him through us, right? Are we willing to believe that? Let's stand. Stand with me. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity to be here this morning. Thank you for my brothers and my sisters and, my, and these friends in this room today. And Lord, we just come to you. I come to you with a, um, a deep sense of gratitude um, for your uh, love in my life that despite my failures, despite my imperfections, despite my, um, the things that I have missed, despite my pride at times or my, my fear at times, you have stayed with me. You have worked with me. And you've said to me many times, I'm not done with you. I'm not finished with you. Lord, help us. Each one of us, you know every heart in this room. You know those who are tired, those who feel like they've gone uh, you know, far, too far to be rescued, those who've given up. Lord, help us as we look at your word. Help us to know that these things were written to teach us that we might through have endurance in the scriptures that we might have encouragement that you can still work with us that we might have hope that you want to do something great in us and through us i pray for us as a church god be with us this day be with us in this season and i pray lord for every heart every every prayer that's going up around this room today may you hear it and answer it in jesus name amen